It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. It's time to cast off on a new adventure. This is Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Good morning and welcome to Real Adventures from wherever you are listening right around the country. Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Habgood joining you this morning to talk all things fishing, boating and the great outdoors. Good morning to you, Redmond. Good morning, Patrick. And before we get into fishing and boating, and there is an outdoor dining area at this venue, so we're in the outdoor section. I'll tell you what, if Sereno Pub isn't the greatest pub of all time here in Victoria, I'm calling it as Australia's best pub. I love the place. Uh, it's it's. It, I was over there for a Bucks do last weekend, and the atmosphere that was at this that every time the main races come on, they cranked it. There's so many local people that fish there that come say good day and talk rubbish. I, I'm calling it the best pub, and it's very fancy too. Along your line, some nice red wine there too. Quintrexes, few few polos being worn. Lots lots of polos. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought that would have been part of the dress code. You couldn't get into the pub unless it was. Uh, a collared setup, a bit like the MCC. Well, I had the old uh, salt guide long sleeve on, and uh, it's not what you know, Pat, it's who you know. <laughs> Let's get to a bit of uh, fishing news before we, we get into the show. Uh, New South Wales, Redmond, there's been um, a fair bit of infrastructure over the years that's gone into artificial reefs, and there is yep. continuing um, the New South Wales uh, Department of Fisheries continue to reinvest in this space. Uh, since 2011, Port Macquarie, Newcastle, South Sydney, Wollongong, Shoalhaven, Marimbula uh, have had artificial reefs constructed. And at the moment, they're currently building uh, another that's being towed from Glebe Island to Maroya Heads. It's going to be sunk in 40 metres uh, of water. Uh, it's massive. It looks like a uh, like a small building essentially, and certainly the technology that's gone into the creation of these artificial reefs, which uh, they claim can be up to four times more productive than existing natural reefs, um, has increased from the days of simply sinking a an ex navy ship and then having that as your uh, your artificial reef. Um, the, the work that goes into it now uh, sort of helps disrupt current, so you're protecting those small fish. The surfaces that are used and, and welded together are rough to encourage growth. It's great to see a huge investment from, from fisheries, um, you know, putting dollars back, in into, back into an environment that are going to increase catch rates throughout New South Wales. Yeah, it is, and it's, I think, any artificial reef, and we know that WA have some fantastic artificial reefs here locally in Port Phillip Bay. Uh, and even the snapper fishery that was in South Australia, Pat, that was very dependent. And I know where you're going with the artificial reefs, and I know some of these 
aren't done by fisheries. They're done by the local fishermen, which isn't the right thing to do, but they are. But I just want to say to you, they work. They 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 just work. They catch and they hold so much biodiversity. It is insane. Literally, it starts with the smallest little bit of or whatever it is, it's, it's, it might be a mussel shell, where a bacteria which turns into a mussel shell, which then turns into bait fish, which then, from my instance, Port Phillip Bay, where I fished during the week, we were fishing structures, and the amount of snapper that holds on them in such a large space of water. So, for example, Port Phillip Bay is so big, and you've got to try and pinpoint where those snapper are, or South Australia, if you're fishing off South Oz for snapper, and I'm, we know the bands in blah, 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 but if you're in South Australia... We know how much the commercial guys were dependent on these reefs to catch their quotas of fish. Same as WA and obviously New South Wales that you've just mentioned too. So in the on the fishing side of things, I've been an angler. Yeah, it's bloody terrific. What's uh, nearly nearly as impressive as the research that you've done into into the artificial reefs in itself because they are they are tremendous for us anglers. Would you like to see more of them? Clearly, they're successful, but you don't want steel cages being dragged out everywhere there's obviously there's concrete that's used at different stages it's a really costly exercise but as you said that they do certainly work would you like to see more of them around the the country i'd like to see yes but i'd like to see them uh i guess engaging conversations with people uh not i'm not saying me in everyone but i'm saying but people recreational like anglers yep yeah, recreational anglers or someone you're someone that has experience with an area so someone like a guide or like wayne blake in western port you might contact wayne and he'd be able to advise in specific areas now there's an artificial reef that's placed out of torquay here and the reason i talk about this one in particular is because i obviously know it it's close to home and and where the fisheries have actually placed this artificial reef to be honest with you i probably wouldn't have put it there uh it's a bit too far for boaties to get there uh we haven't got I guess the best ocean access, for instance, even yourself, Pat, from Mogs, from basically my joint, Ocean Grove Ramp, to your joint, there's there's one beach facility that's common, which is Torquay Beach, Fishos, and then you've got your little fake ramp that you guys use, which isn't even a ramp. It's literally a, sl- a slope onto a bit of sand. So I – and that's the access point to that reef. So it's not – but is it good because it doesn't get overfished? And then that way – but it's also not producing tremendous amounts of fish. Where if you if you go off Carrum, which is in Port Phillip Bay on a Saturday, all those artificial reefs that are placed in there are in tremendous areas. They hold huge amounts of Port Phillip Bay snapper, so anglers can get out there and chase them. Where this Torquay one isn't super productive. I suppose the the, the difference also is the fact that the positions of these reefs get publicised because we're all. Uh, we're spending our money on licensing fees, so we have a right to know where these reefs are, and that's the difference between some that um, you know aren't as well known. Let's get to your week in fishing, Redmond. There's been some phenomenal catches right around the country. Port Augusta at the moment in South Australia is firing with some absolutely spanking kingfish, and you're going to talk through the gear that you need for big kingfish uh, a little later. But the snapper that you chased during the week? Yeah, the snapper that I fished uh, um this week was an eruption of snapper. It was, uh, it was as as good as I've ever seen Port Phillip Bay fish for snapper in my whole career. And this, it, it's just been out of control. Like I fished middays during the week, 
I went against everything that I talk about. Everything, I'm, I'm, sorry, what I mean by it, your southerly winds that I really, really harp on. Southerly winds, blah, blah, blah. Get there morning, get your bite times in the Arvo. If you can mark up fish on structure or on the mud, you're pretty much guaranteed a bag limit captures, Pat. That's how many snapper are in the bay right now and that are feeding. It is literally as, as good as you're ever going to have snapper fishing between, I guess, we'll call it the main city. So you've got your... Altona St Kilda right down to Mount Martha it is going bonkers absolutely nuts so the key at the moment is finding as you said that structure and then sounding around the region because you don't want to sit right on it because then you'll, you'll get the smaller fish and you'll get your, your wrasse and those that sit right on the reef but if you can sit slightly off it sound up fish that's when you're then casting your lines and setting up from there yeah, but another uh, – so the structure out there is, like I said, Karam Artificials. They've got a lot of artificial dumps by fisheries, but also the charter boat operators over the last 40 years, that, just for an example, in Port Phillip Bay, dump whatever they've dumped in the bay. And I know it's the wrong thing to do, whatever, but they work. And there's a, there's tens of thousands of them right through the bay. So if you do come across them, make sure you mark it on your GPS. But also the difference between fishing structure and the mud – and when I say mud, I'm talking about just general area. And you're actually just on the mud and you mark up a school of fish. To be honest with you, you're probably going to have a better session than you are on one of those structured structured reefs. The reason for that is those structured reefs hold, like you said before, different species of fish. Where if you can actually specifically find snapper on the mud, there's not really another reason for other species of fish to actually be there. So those fish should just feed like mad for you quite often they're going to be from three and a half kilo right up to potentially eight kilo where the structure is going to hold small undersized pinkies pinkies better pinkies and snapper where sometimes you cast six rods out within 30 seconds of them floating down you've got no baits left because the pinkies just strip them so it can work actually against you the structure at times i i actually myself i'm a i'm a, I'm a sort of, as we call them a dump fisherman i like fishing the dumps moving being very active with my with my sonar locating the fish but the mud, I'll be honest with you, is fishing just as good. Like it's, it's, there's no separation between the two. I've got a lot of mates that are fishing the mud, and they're just like, they're just going out there. And I'll be honest, the Arvo's a bit better. The Arvo, that six of five, six o'clock onwards on the mud's been that insane bite, like just as good as you can get it. But it's as like, oh, this snapper, snapper fishery has been cold. It's been a very, very cold, miserable start to this season, Pat. You've experienced it. I've experienced it. And finally, we're into that 16.2 to 17.5 degree temperature, and they're, they're literally just going stupid, as good as you could ever get them. Uh, I mentioned before the kingfish around Port Augusta in South Australia at the moment are absolutely firing. There's some absolute stonkers being caught. And over, uh, I suppose, the next month or so, as that water temperature really starts to warm up and we start to hit that sort of magic temperature of sort of 17.5 plus degrees, We'll start to see them in greater numbers through uh, sort of eastern and, and southern uh, Australia, Redmond. The gear that you're using to target these fish, particularly once they get up beyond the sort of what most anglers would describe as the rat king range, so anything sort of below 80 centimetres, anything above that, you're starting to get into some some pretty decent fish. Let's talk about the, the gear to attack these fish because they're one of the toughest fighting fish pound for pound they are and we have got Gwaine blake coming on the show um not too not too long at all to be honest with you he'll be in the next couple of segments but Gwaine is going to 
follow. He, he loves following those currents and those kingfish that, and when they come down the east coast of Australia, and he's right onto them. So we're going to get a good indication of hopefully where the fish are or where he thinks uh, the, the fish are, which is great. But these are these are fish of a lifetime. These fish, they are big, powerful fish. Now, uh, you start from your rats, like you said. Um, we'll go a bit bit bigger than that. So anything from that eight thousand Saragossa into a twenty to forty pound rod is going to be is going to handle those up to a meter fish quite easy, easily. But there's so many different attributes that I've got that can go into that. So you've got where are you fishing? Are you fishing in the Port Phillip Bay Heads Rip where you're going from 20 metres to 80 then back to 20 and you've got to stop those fish from getting into those reefs to do. So you might end up in with like a, say, an 18,000 staller on a on an 80 to 100-pound rod to really stop them. If you're in New Zealand and you're in seriously deep water doing digging in deep water, you want to go up to that 18 to 20,000 staller with that big extractor rod, that 100-pound, because they're huge fish. They're 40-kilo fish and they'll just bust you off on the reef. So there's so many different size, uh, different elements that come into the size of the rods and reel you're going to use. But as a starting point, uh, I won't go cheap here because, like you said before, they test the gear out. They are brutes of the sea. I'd be sticking to that 20 to 40 pound Samurai Osprey, which is probably around that $300 mark the rod. And then I'd probably push to maybe a Saragossa 8000. I don't think you need to go to a Stella or anything like that for those good size kingfish up to your 10 kilos, your eights and tens and twelves. I think that'll handle it quite easily. And I'd be running 50 pound braid on those reels and your leaders usually between 60 to hundred. Maybe if you've, they're being a bit stupid not, and they're not feeding like you want them to, you might drop down to 60 pound or if you've got them going nuts, you might up, might up to 80 or hundred. So you don't get done on a reef if you do hook a bigger fish. So it depends live baiting, jigging. There's so many elements to it, but as a broad range, the 20 to 40 and a 8,000 reel will definitely have you covered as a starting point. We've got a huge show of real adventures coming your way this morning. As Aaron said, Wayne Blake, who's a professional fisherman, he's going to talk all things kingfish and how to target them as this water changes. The same with the Western Port and the snapper that we're seeing in really prolific numbers at the moment. All that and more this morning on Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. It's time for the Social Club. We take your questions from social media. If you want to engage in the conversation, make sure you send us a direct message on our socials or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. It's free to download from wherever you download uh, your apps. The first question is from Ryan. Boys, when tying your main line to a leader, what knots do you use? I'm terrible at tying them. Can I use a swivel instead to attach them together? Now, this is a question we, we often get sent, Redmond, because people are very nervous about tying line to line and, and it can be difficult. Blood knot is obviously something that gets spoken about a huge amount. But talk us through why you don't use a swivel. There's multiple reasons why. Uh, I mean, besides one, the obvious of, you know, if you're if you're we're casting for kingfish, we're going to talk about this with Gwaine, It's not going to pass through the eye of your rod. Chances of hooking up, and you, you just can't get your distance in your cast. Well, and I know what you've just said then, but there's the, I was going to actually go down that path. You can get these things called idiot beads, and a lot of the charters use them because people that don't fish quite often actually snap the ends of their rods because of the swivels and they wind it up and it actually smashes the end of the tip of the rod and destroys it. So you get these nice soft beads. So if you yep. do, if you are a swivel tie, that's a good start. 
But yeah, number two, there's so many different other reasons. Like you've got your casting techniques. You've got uh, not only that with your swivel. For me, I don't want to have that in the water in the ocean as well. Uh, so the, the extra reason, drag that it creates through the well, water. Well, I'm going, I'm going the cuda aspect first. The second, the cuda in the ocean. If you start using swivels, we back when I was a charter fisherman, we called it the hundred dollar drop because everyone would drop down. You hit a patch of cuda, you lose ten or twelve eight ounce sinkers, and all plus your hooks and your leader. You'd lose a lot of money's worth plus your swivel because as a, that actually shines in the water and the cuda are not fussy in what they eat. They will smash the swivels. Number th three, with your snapper fishing, yeah, back to what you were just saying, I don't like the extra. I want to. I know it's not much, but it's just something in my head. I like to join the braid with this with the main line as much as possible. Even just casting around the like, you tend to run your leaders slightly too long at times or too short. The swivel isn't too close to your bait, or then it's not too far. Whereas you just tie a double uni knot, which is the easiest knot you could possibly learn. A double uni knot will literally take away your swivel and you'll have a natural fall rate through the water with your bait, especially for things like snapper or if you're dropping a unweighted squid strip down for a kingfish or whatever you're doing, it makes your bait sink so much nicer. The next question is from Mac. This is actually a good one for you, Pat. Hey, guys, I'm in the market for a new boat, uh, old new boat. How much time should I put into the trailer and how important should it factor to my decision for what boat I buy? Now, you've just obviously bought a boat, but this is for a second-hand boat. Yeah, and it's still something that I think is critical if you're going to enjoy your boating because the last thing you, that you want is every time you pull the boat out of the garage that you're stressed about what condition the trailer is to tow it to the ramp. So then you start to, to use it less and it defeats the purpose of purchasing a boat in the first place. So I, I think it's something that you've got to put a lot of time and energy into. It's an important part of of your boat obviously your motor is critical you want something that's reliable you don't necessarily want a 30 year old two-stroke um and and you want something that you know from a from a boating perspective is really functional you don't want a half cabin that takes up the majority of your boat and then you've got very little fishing room so your boat's important but it, it, you can't have your trailer like we, we understand where it sits in the in the realm of importance it's it's not there with a with a motor or the hull itself, but it's it's critical to get your boat in one piece to and from the ramp. And if your trailer's crap, you're not going to use it. So what's the point of having a good hull and a good a good motor? So it's a critical you, part of it. Would you spend money on someone to come and check the trailer? Because I know I would. Yeah, and quite often, like one of the first things that would be replaced on an older boat, you get the bearings redone. Um, potentially the springs, depending on what condition that they're in. And, and and what we're seeing more of now are aluminium trailers. And and you and I both have the, the same branded trailer, an easy tow, and they're both aluminium trailers. So the beauty of that is that they will never rust. So, yeah, I still think it's a critical component to to your, your, your boating enjoyment, regardless of whether you live 100 metres from a boat ramp or whether you're driving hundreds of kilometres every week to give you another idea of something that's really important on a trailer pat is uh bearing buddies yeah this these is a great yep this is these actually protect your bearings so you, your boat obviously goes in the salt water and what happens is it these stop the the salt from getting uh they pack them full of grease and actually with the grease and the the way they suction in somehow my brother was 
changing mind the other day. And the reason I bring this up is I was traveling to the ramp and because I've had so much rain lately, it causes a lot, of, a lot of potholes on the road. And I hit a pothole and I actually, the bearing buddy flew off on mine. And I used mine, I waited for a part to come that I needed and it, the, the bearing buddy to come. And within the week or two weeks of it actually not, and I'm using quality bearings, like Easy Toe don't use crap stuff. And within two weeks, the bearing, had, and I'm traveling most days, had pretty much gone. Cameron reckons I, my brother who actually changed the bearing for me, he reckons I wouldn't have actually, I wouldn't have got another trip in. Basically there was literally, there was not much left in it at all. So bearing buddies are a must on a trailer. They're going to save you so much time changing bearings or on the side, the side of the road. I think the other, the other thing to consider is even though you're washing your trailer down at the end of uh, your fishing expedition, as you're doing your boat and, and motor, the trailer launches your boat it then sits in the sun for the next six to eight to however much daylight that you're exposing it to so the salt and the water dries off over time if you're using it a lot that puts a um, that puts even more pressure on the the components of your trailer and eventually things will start to rust any little weakness we all know that that salt water um you know, it's going to put a huge amount of pressure on. So it's definitely something, Mac, to put time into. Um, they're not overly expensive in the scheme of a boat, so it's important to um, to invest in it because the last thing you want is is an issue on the highway as well and then your pride and joy comes off and then you've got some, some real issues. Uh, the next question is from Natalie, and I'm going to ask you this, Pat, because we always ask what rods that I should get where – you're more of your everyday sort of angler that enjoys just going out. And I know you do like having the nice gear because you do love your fishing, but Natalie's husband loves the show. She has no idea about fishing, but he's super clean to learn. I also have no idea, but I would love to get him a rod for Christmas. Where should I start? So where, how would you go and approach someone a rod for Christmas? Well, I actually did this last week actually for a couple of mates that um, that were looking to get some some better gear for their kids because they're, they're teaching their kids to get into fishing, but the gear that they were using for inland freshwater waterways, um, I think that they were 5,000s that they were using and 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 pretty cheap and crappy in terms of the the actual model of them. I can't remember the exact brand, but they, they were really big reels. So I said to them, look, I'll, I'll, there's, there's great sales next week. This was this was on Friday um, with, with Black Friday. Um, I reckon the kids would would enjoy it even more and get into it even more and catch more fish if you've got some some better gear to allow you to cast further to be a little bit more precise with where you're fishing. So there's that many good sales on at the moment. Um, I went into Anaconda and I I bought a couple of two and a half thousands. Um, I think it was a Shimano Sahara on memory and they were about 140 bucks. And then you've got sales on top of that and it's it's not going to last you for 25 years, but for freshwater use, it's got... Just to pull you up there for one second. So what I've noticed you've said is basically you haven't catered for one species as such. So you're trying to say that you need to work out what your husband wants to chase, basically, because you've covered a 2,500 to the 5,000s to here and there. So what would you recommend to do? Uh, find out what he's interested in doing. Is he boat? Is he pier? What's he doing? Oh, exactly right. If you're fishing off a pier... Really, if it's for everyday use, I don't think you need to go any any more than a four thousand. Um, you, you really you get away with a two and a half thousand, and that's gonna that's gonna get you in the fresh 
the freshwater anyway. Um, if you're just fishing freshwater in small small um, creeks, use a thousand six pound line. Like you don't need to to over overshoot everything with the gear that we use. I think especially when you're just getting into fishing. And if you lose a really big fish every now and then, well, I just don't think it's the the biggest issue compared to the enjoyment you get of of fishing with a um, you know something that's slightly more enjoyable. Uh, you know to to use Aaron. All right, is it time for one more, Pat, from Ren? Last one, Ren. Cable steering versus hydraulic steering. I have an old Seafarer 55 uh, with a newer Yami uh, 115 four-stroke. Hydraulic steering seems really expensive. Cheers, Ren. Well, it's come down in price compared to, say, the, a lot of the power steering options that you can now get, Redmond. So even though it's more expensive, once you're starting to get to those heavier motors, cable steering... Oh, I just reckon it, it ruins the the enjoyment of fishing, particularly if you're going to use it offshore potentially. You, you, oh, want, you want good touch. Not even just offshore, Pat. If you find a beautiful school of salmon in the bay or somewhere in a nice stream and you're trawling around you know, or even trout and you're catching trout on the trawl and you leave that steering wheel, it pulls one side. It does, yep. All of a sudden you're doing donuts. Uh, it costs you fish. It can seize up at any time. Uh, uh, my brother well, it does. Brain. It does. If you don't use it for three months, oh, <laughs> Dad, Dad, and I, we honestly get down to the ramp after not, or down to you know Mogs Creek after not having used it for a while over winter or whatever. This is when we had a uh, little Stacer four one four one four and a and a Johnson yep. thirty five horsepower nineteen eighty four model, I think it was, and and you'd be moving the thing from side to side and you get about two inches. And it wouldn't move. It was just the biggest nightmare of all time. And not just that. Like I was saying, my brother's a marine mechanic, and I was with him yesterday, and I went called over to his house for a nice cold beer, and he goes to me, this freaking steering wheel, this and that, it's seized up, and he's trying to get it out, the poor bloke. He's trying to get it, and he can't get it. So not only is it nice for you, it's dangerous, and it, your mechanic hates it too. So change it. I think it's worth every single dollar, Pat. I really, really do. Yeah, and and, and really, like you've got your cost of – you know, clearly your cost of installation, which is going to be a little bit, but for around that sort of you know, $1,000 mark, depending on where you shop, it's a, it's certainly a, an investment that's worthwhile. That wraps up our social club. If you've got a question for Aaron or I and you want to get in and engage in the conversation, make sure you send in a message or a question to our socials on both Facebook and Instagram, or better yet, download our Real Adventures app. Gearing up for Dometic. Everything you need for adventures big or small. Mobile living made easy. Dometic. It's time for gearing up for Dometic. Enjoy the great outdoors with all the comforts of home with Dometic. Our special guest this morning is one of our Real Adventures regulars. It is Gwaine Blake, Australian professional fishing guide and, of course, sock guide angler. Good morning, Gwaine. Morning, guys. How are you? Now, we always look to you, Gwaine, for the, uh, the up-to-date, to-the-point reports when it comes to Western Port. Now, I'm getting excited with all these uh, photos and reports that I keep seeing around the kingfish in South Australia. Are we seeing them this week, next week? Don't let me down. How far away are they? Okay, so those, those reports that you're seeing now generally in a standard year more mid to early October 
So we're seeing them now at the end of November. So basically what I'm saying is the whole season is very behind by at least a month. It's not just in fishing. I actually had a guide customer the other day that breeds um, Australian native birds and all of his birds this year are three to five weeks behind in their breeding cycle. And it's basically just because we've had that horrible Antarctic you know, blast for the last month or so. So that's not what I wanted to hear, Aaron. Just, I, I just, I, I always didn't know whether to throw my bit in there, but I just watched your face just sink. <laughs> <laughs> well, what we have seen a lot of, Gwaine, are uh, the snapper. Um, you've constantly had, you know, great captures, some really big fish. What have been the, the secrets to your success over recent weeks? Well, basically, I'm fishing every day now. Um, I'm either you know, guiding on the customer's boat or chartering on my own. So I'm on the water every day, which obviously that helps. You get to see the fish movement, fish patterns, and obviously you've got a few mates that you bounce off as well. But the big fish have really come around moon phases for me this year. So it's either the lead up to a full moon or a new moon when we come into that slower tide cycle. And a lot of the smaller fish are actually sulking and shutting down. But the big fish, you know, they've, they've got a metabolism that they've got to keep up, especially in that little bit of colder water. So they've been feeding quite actively. And I've been, been running around chasing them. I've had to go down to Welshpool for some big fish down there. We, we, the biggest one we got at Welshpool is 11.3 kilos. And, yeah, there's still some great-sized um, fish in both Port Phillip and Western Port too. So it's, it's just about getting away from the schools of fish and – using your sounder, using your electronics and tar actually targeting those bigger fish. Take us through the whole Western Port, Port Phillip. Now, I know where, early days Western Port had a big rush of decent water and you got some beautiful fish, that six-plus kilo, um, a few of them, and then all of a sudden we had the blow, everything went behind. And I know Western Port isn't the temperature – or close to the temperature that normally is at right at this minute in time, the month that we're in, how long can we see this snapper bite actually progress in Western Port? Paul Phillips on fire, Western Port's going good. Are we going to continue to see it go good? I hope so, because I don't think the kingfish, like I said, I really don't think we're going to see kingfish this side of Christmas. But we just need that temperature to stay a bit stable. And what's happened is we, we keep getting these big blows come through and it, it's sort of spooking the fish. The, the fish need to come up and spawn on the surface. They need at least three days of a you know standard temperature of that 17.8 to around about 18.5 degrees. That's what they want. And it needs to be three days of stability for the eggs to actually fertilise and hatch. And what we've had is we've had these real short windows. The fish might get into that spawning mode and then the next blast comes through and any spawn that actually was you know, let go on the surface is actually dying. So it's, it's not a very good recruitment year either. And then the fish are sort of moving back to old traditional areas that you expect to see them in September, October. But it, we've just come off this stable pattern now, and hopefully it stabilises, but it could go the total opposite, and then we get you know a week or... 10 days of 30 plus degrees and that'll actually reverse everything the opposite way and then the fish will shut down because they've spawned and, and be over with. So hopefully 
we just have that nice stable weather patterns now with you know, a couple of 25, 30 degree days and then back down to 16, 17 and, and back through what we normally see in November. Hopefully that's what we get in December. You're listening to Real Adventures and that is the voice of Gwaine Blake, one of our uh, Real Adventures uh, contributors that we get every couple of weeks. Gwaine, you mentioned before around finding those fish that are of, of – of larger size what's the balance of moving off a patch of fish that you know are those really small pinkies but you're catching them to to try and find something that that may not be there do you have to be willing to to spend a day and fail in order to to give yourself a good chance to catch those those big five plus kilo snapper yeah so um Currently, we've got a really good school of snapper in 18 metres of water off Carrum. So I've been actively targeting fish lower down because I believe the big fish lead the way. They're the, you know, the, the, the teachers, the storytellers to the younger fish. So they move up the top of the bay first and then they're the first to move back down as that temperature starts to rise. So I'm just trying to stay ahead of that mass school where everyone's going out and getting their bag limits so I'm, I'm three to five k's below that in port phillip and, and probably go a little bit shallower too so i might look in 16 meters of water and western port's very similar too you'll get you'll hear of a really good bite of fish say at lysart's in 18 meters of water i'll find where those fish are and then i'll go shallow of those fish fish in anywhere as low as eight meters of water and target them that way and i'm not, I'm not a gambler i've never bet in my life my way of gambling is actually just going out fishing and you know, hedging my bets and throwing that line i like i prefer to make reports than going off reports for those that uh that handy or fancy themselves as soft plastic fishermen on one because i like the uh, the energy that it brings when you're constantly casting out and reeling in what's yep. the balance between getting getting those fish going so whether you're starting with with burling and then you're on on and fishing with bait, when's the right time to then cast out a soft plastic and give that a crack? There's not. <laughs> I would actually to do it first. So if you find a stack of fish and they haven't seen anything come down on them, they haven't seen a bait, they haven't been spooked at all, that's probably the best time to cast a plastic. Not when you've caught a couple and they're probably getting a little bit gun shy. Yeah. So, yeah, you're probably better off doing it first. Or you know, or you've caught your bag limit or you've caught your one fish you want to eat, move away from that school and go find another one and start again. That's the there way you I go, do. Aaron. I've, I've got to do I've got to change up a few things. Yeah, well that's no drama for me. Just uh, don't invite me on the day. <laughs> <laughs> Gwaine, thank you very much for joining us on Real Adventures this morning. Gwaine Blake, professional angler he's got obviously his beautiful stavy craft 1850 which he's happy to take you guiding on uh, and he's also a salt guide contributor thanks Gwen. thanks guys cheers thanks Gwen. that was gearing up for dometic mobile living made easy it's time for red's review and redmond we're talking off the back of uh, our conversation in the social club we're talking about trails and this links in well because we're talking about uh, rock deflectors for one of a better term and the importance if you're going to spend big time on the highway especially if you've got a 
uh, an aluminium boat. Now, it obviously can do damage to your gel coat and things like that with, with fiberglass boats. But for those trailering long distances with aluminium boats, you will get significant chipping if you're going to spend a lot of time on the highway. It's something that your trailer has and and mine doesn't, and I desperately want one. And uh, now you're looking at it, there's a chance that I hit add to basket right now on my phone because I need <laughs> What we are looking at is these deflector stone guards, Pat. They, they just, there's not much, like, you can't really explain it anything better than you have. They, they literally deflect the stones when you're traveling, whether it's all the way to Eden or Birmingham or Darwin, whatever it is, they literally protect your boat from stones. And it's, it's a very simple, it's almost a U-shaped bar that goes at the front of, of your trailer, almost attaches in very close to where the winch is uh, and then sort of extends another metre and a half um, towards the, you know, the, the side and hull of your boat. And when those stones flick up, they, they essentially deflect it. But for what is a very, very small outlay, it does protect your gel coat. It does protect... Um, the, the paintwork that you get on your aluminium boats, which is very like very easy to chip, Aaron. Yeah, it is. And they're roughly the one we're looking at right now suits boats from five to six and a half meters, which that caters for a lot of people out there with their tinnies, like their I guess their um cutty cabs and just I guess any boat from that range. And they're roughly around that fifteen hundred dollars. If you mention me, you'll probably get them for two grand, but I'd stick to the fifteen hundred dollars. So <laughs> It's uh, it's deflector stone guards and do yourself a favor and spend that fifteen hundred bucks because, oh, it, it, there's nothing worse than anything hitting your boat. And I actually was traveling to Eden one year and a, a big glass sheet fell off a truck right in front of us and smashed and ended up all down the side of our car and into the whole side of my mate's brand new done up nineteen Haynes black. And even <laughs> insurance covered it, but the stone guards would have probably covered that whole from Most the, of it, yeah. the highway. I, I reckon it would have got close to protecting majority of it. So maybe not the car, but definitely the boat. So they're well worth the investment. It is the stone deflector for your trailer, our Reds review for this morning on Real Adventures. You're listening to Real Adventures with Patrick Dangerfield and Aaron Hadgood. Welcome back to Real Adventures. We're on the home straight now, Redmond. Uh, there's not too much time left, but we've got a little, little pots of gold coming up in Red's tip. Before we get to that, uh, your target species for the week, given the weather ahead. Now, we know you were going off your rocker last week about the, uh, the La Nina, the weather phenomenon that we're going to experience this year. A few more... And how- uh, Oh, were they? It's been beautiful, hot and sunny all week. Thirty-two. <laughs> <laughs> well, what 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 are your target species? Because you've struggled over the last sort of week or so for for the calamari, so they've been a little bit harder to find. Is that something you're going to put more effort into this week? Yeah, well, that was the start of the week, so it's actually good you mentioned that because I've got a question for you, just quickly. I've got the. So you're not you're gonna you're not gonna. I'm going to answer, answer my it's question. Gonna, it's going to lead into that question. So. You got me early. Uh, Saturday, the 4th of December, as we do this, and it says, I'm on, I'm on my phone now, Willie Weather, and it says the new moon, so 0% visibility. Yeah. Friday, which was yesterday, we'll say, it says uh, crescent, waning crescent, 1% visible. The next day on the Sunday, so is 2% visible. When is the new, actual new moon? Is it the Friday night into the Saturday or is it the Saturday night? Because I've had this argument with multiple people. 
Because on the full moon, it's confused the hell out of me. Um, look, I just say to you, do you want to go fishing? And you come back with, no, we're not fishing because we're on the moon or whatever phase we're on. And I say, okay, I just want, I want the answer on when the best time to fish is. All right, it's going back into it. Start of the week, I was waiting for that new moon that I'm talking about now. And that new moon was the lead up to those squids. The start of the week, they hadn't quite dropped their eggs. Water was still dirty. But as we got into the end of the week, the squid were everywhere. Once again, dropped their eggs on that new moon, whenever it is, Friday, Saturday night. <laughs> we call it the weekend moon. It was over the weekend. They dropped the lead up to it and on it. And I'm tipping the next couple of days, going to do the same. And it's going to be red hot. So if you are out looking for squid, perfect time to get yourself some super big calamari on these eggs. Now, leading from into today into the next few days, the snapper fishery is going crazy. Bit of a southerly blow at the moment, and tomorrow we're going to be a southeast in it. Well worth chasing the snapper. A little bit blowy, though, so stick to your limits and your Ks and whatever you need to do to be safe, but that's that's definitely on my cards. Looking into into Monday, we've got northerlies into Tuesday as well, so hopefully some warmer weather. Uh, I might do some adventuring. I might uh, see what you're up to as well. We might even head down to Apollo Bay or something if possible. We might even go down there and anchor up on some different reefs and maybe even uh, get some big schoolies and gummies. That's that's certainly a good option. And the reason I say that, once again, it's your moon factor. So fishing Apollo Bay in those strong currents off the moon is very hard because this I, – and I know, I know I like tide and I always talk about it, but in this particular area because the tide's pulling so hard, you need the actual time to fish. You're using 20-ounce sinkers, 14-ounce sinkers off the shank uh, – off the Otway, sorry, at Apollo Bay. So it's super, super strong. So – Make sure that you, you you do follow your tides for the area and make sure it's accessible. I've probably gone over time there for my week, Pat. Would you like me to get into Red's tip or? I do. Uh, whether it's along the lines of put up your Christmas tree or dust off your Michael Bublé CD. We're in December, so your tip Who's for the weekend. Michael Bublé? It's who it's my cream. dust off every every 12 months. A bit like Mariah Carey. All of a sudden you walk through any Westfield <laughs> and that's what you'll hear. Lucky I won't be there. Red's tip. I just want to do a quick one on the casting for these snapper, why they are going nuts. And this is wherever you are. If you are using unweighted baits or even cast out baits with sinkers on them in the ocean or wherever you are, once again, make sure you actually adjust your cast to the distance. Now, what I mean by that is I get a lot of people out with me that cast the bait out, the squid ring or the silver whiting or pilchard, hits the water and they flick their bail arm over. If you're in 20 metres of water, what's going to happen is that line's going to pull tight towards you and actually end up pretty much under the boat because you haven't allowed it to have line. And you want to, you actually want to lay your rods out nicely. You don't want them up and down. You want them laid out nicely so they don't get pulled back and forward inside, close to the hull. Your fish are behind you. You've marked them up. They're 20 metres behind. Get your rods out and actually feed the line out. If it's a still day, it's very hard to get the braid or the mono to come off your line. So make sure you keep flicking your rod back and keep throwing that nice, soft, gentle line laid on the water. Get it out nicely, and you're going to catch 10 times more fish with it sinking because a lot of the time people don't even get their baits to the bottom because they haven't actually allowed for enough line to come off their reel. So snapper season, lay them out, you'll get more fish. It's now time for the flying gaff, Patrick, and I know you've got a fast gaff this week. We, there's no gaff this week, Redman, because you can't actually catch this guy. So during the week there was this uh, Luderitz world speed challenge on a was, was it a kite board parasailing wind sailing um wait uh surfer a um kite surfer 
kite surfing at 55 knots. So over 100 kilometres an hour these guys were going in this canal that's probably maybe a foot and a half deep. And the purpose of it is to try and go as fast as you possibly can. So the gaff this week goes to those boys who are absolutely flying. We think we're going quick when we're hitting 40 knots on a boat. That's that's fast. <laughs> that's, that's, as, that's as quick as it gets. 55 knots. Uh, Bjorn Dunkerbeck was the, uh, was the surfer. Uh, spectacular to see. So, uh, Bjorn, now, we won't be seeing you. We know the answer for this. Do you reckon it's the windier you go? Windier it is, the faster you go. Well, obviously, mate. That's that's a or, or is it just in the design of it? No, it was windy this day. It was humming. Should have so seen tried to just... slow down. It, it was like <laughs> a car crash. It was unbelievable. <laughs> we ran out of time. Thanks for your company this morning on Real Adventures. We'll do it all again next week. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply.